0: is jimmy scroggins and i'm the lead pastor of family church in south florida welcome to the church for the rest of us podcast on our podcast we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church so welcome to church for the rest of us Church for the Rest of Us. This is episode 175, Leslie. Wow. That's a lot of episodes,
1: isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. I can't believe we've been doing this for 175 times, and we're thankful that people keep listening. I think we always have strong content to offer, but this season has been particularly good as we've brought in some of the best breakouts from our 2023 Church for the Rest of Us conference.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I know that today will be no exception because. We are in the people development business at Family Church, and I know our listeners are in the people development business as well. And today we're going to talk about developing theologically grounded leaders at your local church. And I want you to hear this, listeners, because whether you're talking about people who work with kids, students, people who lead music, people who work in business administration, it is important that you are developing everybody on your team to have stronger and deeper theology, and a stronger and deeper grasp of the Bible. And so today we're going to talk about that on Church for the Rest of Us. That's
1: right. It's a great topic. I can't wait to hear it. So let's have our presenters introduce themselves, and we'll dive right in. All right. So we are so excited to be here today. I am here with my friend, Dr. Mark Warnock.
2: Hi, Angel. Nice to see you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So, Mark, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You love to think about our topic today, and you do a lot of work here at Family Church along the lines of developing leaders. So just share a little bit about what you do.
2: So I'm Mark Warnock. I'm the residency director here at Family Church. We have a two-year program to take ordinary men and women and train them to help us start new churches. And we've got people in English and Spanish, and so that takes a lot of my time and effort. I'm also developing, present tense intended, (laughs) developing uh, an effort called the Family Church Institute to kind of help us as a network deepen our theological and spiritual formation. been here at Family Church for, I don't know, eight or nine years, something like that, but having a lot of fun. Angel, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us what you do here?
1: Yeah, so I am campus director at our village campus. I work with Pastor Kevin Smith and run all of our or a lot of our ministries at that campus and just assimilation, helping people get connected, running our groups and our classes and really am passionate about just helping people develop as spiritual leaders and grow in their faith. And I finished my master's at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I decided I wanted to be like Dr. Warnock, and now I'm working on a PhD because apparently I didn't get enough.
2: Mm, good luck with that. It's work, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm
1: finding that out.
2: That's right. You can do it. You can do it.
1: <laughs> so, Mark, you just got back from a fun trip to England. Why don't you tell our listeners yeah. about that?
2: It's a sort of a bucket list trip. I'd never been to London, but I'm a big history buff. Loved it. And so I went over there and spent a couple weeks hitting museums and seeing things. But the cool part of the trip was I was able to connect with some missionaries and pastors and church planters who are working in the city. I always like learning from Christian practitioners in the UK because they're ahead of us on the post-Christian secularization curve. And so we're a few steps behind them and they're living in realities that are breaking in or coming our way. And so it was really helpful for me to kind of see how they're approaching doing and being church in a super, super hostile or indifferent culture because the trends are moving that way for us, for sure. I've been thinking about this for a while. I speak to our interns about this pretty frequently, but I think that we're living in the time of the most tumultuous cultural change since at least the Protestant Reformation. If you spin back to the Reformation, that whole thing was sparked by a change in communications technology They came up with movable type, which led to the area of print. You had Bible translated into the vernacular and the distribution of print material that really issued forth in all of these chains, the scientific revolution, the enlightenment, renaissance, all of that was downstream from that. Well, we have a similar communications revolution that's happened to us with the internet and digital technology. And you just think about how many things have changed, what Tinder has done to dating, what Amazon has done to shopping. Like you just walk through the different features of human life. It's changed everything. And pastors are no stranger to this. You have Christians walking around with phones in their pockets, and they're on it for hours and hours a day being formed in applied secularism. We're being formed by the news. And so, especially during COVID, all of a sudden, politics started really shaping our people. And so, we're in a season culturally where it is so much more important to theologically ground our people. And at the same time, we're swimming upstream because... One sermon on a Sunday morning is not going to do the trick. Right. We just can't compete with that. And so we are trying to find ways to lean in harder and deeper with our own folks. And because of our cultural context, it's more urgent that we do so than than before.
1: Yeah, that's such a great observation. You know, as I think about leading people at my campus, I know that I am constantly – First of all, we're having to unform people spiritually to reform them because they've been taught a lot of things that are just incorrect. And one of the reasons is just what you mentioned, the fact that a person can get on YouTube or any social media channel and they can Self proclaim themselves to be a pastor or a Bible teacher without any sort of authority from a local church.
2: Yeah. And if they're charming, people will watch them and follow them and believe them. Like I've dealt with that. I've had people apply for residency. They found some rando on YouTube that formed them theologically. And like you're having to pull back on some craziness sometimes just to get them aligned with where you need to be. The cool thing is that the Bible has a lot of examples of people who have lived out faithfulness to God in hostile, unfriendly cultures. So you have like Joseph in Egypt, you have Daniel in Babylon and Daniel's friends. One of the things I picked up here in the last year or so, I did not realize this, but Daniel and his friends were kids during the revival under Josiah, like the last little burst of faithfulness. And so then when you see them over in Babylon, this hostile, foreign kind of culture that they get plucked into... They're able to stand in part because they were so well-formed as kids. And so part of our challenge is to find ways to help people be well-formed in their faith so that they can stand up in the current cultural environment.
1: I love that, and that actually speaks directly to two of our core values, right? Teach the Bible and build families, because we believe in starting when they're children, from child dedication to new believer class to all the things we do with kids' ministry, student ministry camps.
2: Yeah, I think the time has passed, has long passed, that you could see kids' ministry is just babysitting. You got to teach them while they're over there. They're learning more. Kids are learning more than the adults are. And the days of youth ministry being the entertainment venue are are past. We've got to be forming the kids, and we've got to find ways to do it for the adults as well.
1: And we've also got to spiritually form the parents so they know how to form the kids when the kids walk home with all the crazy stuff that they're learning.
2: Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What other kind of biblical frames do you think about with this stuff, Angel?
1: Yeah. So I just love this idea that you've already brought up of just living as strangers and exiles. And I think First and Second Peter talk about that. And we, as believers, we have this living hope. And so we shouldn't be swayed or caught off guard by this culture we have an imperishable inheritance. As leaders, we need to demonstrate a faith that actually believes, expresses joy, and seeks the outcome of the salvation for those that we minister to and the salvation of others. We need to help them seek the outcome of the salvation of others in addition to the outcome of their salvation.
2: I really love the way that you put that cuz I think the people who are being formed by our culture it's showing up in depression and anxiety and all this kind of thing and then yet you see you see this picture in Peter of these non-anxious joyful grounded people and I just love that picture
1: Yeah. And they're living countercultural lives. So Peter's talking to them about living lives that are holy out of pure hearts. And I think so many times our anxiety and our depression Sometimes that's consequences of just the bad choices that we're making or the bad truth that we're listening to. And, and if we can ground ourselves in the truth of what the Bible tells us and in our identity, that just gives us such a great perspective. And then First Peter 1, and 23 also just talks about a brotherly love from a pure heart. And so in our culture, we are living in such a polarized space, where we are after making sure our voice is heard above other voices, and we want to pick sides. And in the church, there's no sides to pick. We are all, in theory, supposed to be united in Christ and after the same thing.
2: Yeah. And what I see happening in culture is, if you don't agree with me about absolutely every little point of my whatever... I cancel you, I hate you, you're disgusting, blah, 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 and yet we have this other picture and this opportunity to model a kind of love and unity. And I guess the other piece of this is that, so when we talk about theologically forming our leaders, we're not just talking about an intellectual formation, we're talking about a heart formation. You just think about the witness that different people who may not agree on everything, loving each other from the heart like Peter tells us to
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: What a testimony that would be.
1: Yeah. So as we think about what it means to live as a chosen people, we are actually living lives that are honorable in the face of culture. Yeah, right. I mean, you just look at, I don't know, Christian Twitter is the scary place to me. I mean, it just, we are fighting, we are... Anytime anyone slips, we're trying to make sure we magnify that. And it's almost like we're celebrating people who fall. It's heartbreaking to be a part of that. And then that is just a glimpse of it's even worse, you know, in the culture and and in the world.
2: And the sad thing is, right, these are Christian leaders. Right. Right. Who should be formed by the word of God. Like, So there's even a lack of formation that's happening there. I can't remember who, who it was who said it but they talk about this fierce fighting with people who are like a millimeter separate from you on the ideological spectrum yeah. he calls it the petty narcissism of small differences
1: oh wow yeah that's yeah. a great description yeah.
2: well and we we see it a lot yeah. and it just underlines our our need to be able to press in deeper. I know that you're a great friend and respecter of Jen Wilkin, and J.T. English and I overlapped a little bit at Southern Seminary, and they have both helped us a lot. J.T.'s book, uh, Deep Discipleship, really saying that, gosh, we need more Bible, we need more theology, we've got to go deeper with our people. And they've they've modeled that really, really well.
1: Yeah, one of the things he says in that book is we need to develop people who are reorienting their lives to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. And in order to do that, we have to be doing the same thing. We have to be leading out on that. So as we continue to look at just some biblical examples, again, First Peter talks about shepherding the flock of God. We're not seeking our glory but we're seeking god's glory we're seeking the best for our people and so we have to look at the people that we're developing and determine are they seeking their glory or are they seeking a platform or are they after God's glory? And then how have they been theologically formed? I mean, we need to be serious about qualifications for leaders, which 1 Timothy talks about that. And as we continue to look at just the training, like they actually need to be trained in the word of faith and in doctrine and public reading of scripture and exhortation and teaching, and they need to immerse themselves. So they're not living lives of isolation. They're living lives immersed in the community that they're leading. And I feel like, too, like we also are having to push against a culture where there's a lot of attractional leaders who are living lives in isolation and just showing up to teach, and then that, how are we forming people and how are we modeling things if we're not in the sheep pen with the smelly sheep and our smelliness with their smelliness, because as our pastor, Jimmy Scroggins, likes to say, we're we're all sheep, right? right? So we are serving under the, or we're an under shepherd serving the shepherd.
2: Well, Angel, I want us to turn to the practical here in a minute, but I just want to make one comment about the stuff that you just said. I think a lot of pastors have dealt with finding out that there's a small group leader who's gone rogue and is like talking about weird theological things or they're leaning into politics or this kind of thing. And so it just reinforces our need to lean into that training, to not make assumptions and to stay connected with our people.
1: Right. And to care about their character and watch them. We have to watch them and not too quickly put them in leadership.
2: Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, what are some practical ways? So like, how do we do this? I'm thinking about particularly you're active at the campus level. How do you see this working out at Village just on the ground?
1: Yeah. So one of the things we like to try a lot of things here at Family Church. So one of the things we've been trying is I've been teaching some theology classes at our campus. And so we have Intro to Theology, we've done Understanding the Trinity, we've talked about salvation and the work of salvation. So just really having our people understand all those different doctrines and helping them go deep, because again, we're finding we have to unform them from the false stuff and reform them and helping them understand even how we got to the doctrine that we're here. So that brings in some church history yeah. and to help them understand some of the different arguments and false teaching that was out there. So as I've done these theology classes, what it has shown me is it's shown me who are the people that are thirsty for this type of teaching. And a lot of times your best students will become your best teachers.
2: So it's almost like a filter. It's almost like a leadership discovery. Exactly.
1: And so I've been able to identify some people who help me co-facilitate going through our Pursue guide or our Pursue devotional book that we've written here at Family Church. Or I feel like, okay, I've had them in at least Intro to Theology. I know where they stand on some of these things. So I can trust them to take someone through Pursue.
2: Let me ask this. Let me just back up. Like you mentioned some of these like deep theological things. Are people coming to these things? Are they interested in these topics?
1: They are absolutely coming. One of the sweetest stories is I had this woman who was recently baptized a couple of years ago. She had a really incorrect understanding of the Trinity and had this subservient view of Christ okay. Okay. in the Trinity. Okay. And as we really broke that down, it really transformed her understanding of the gospel, her understanding of who Jesus is. And so at the end of these classes, at DTS, when you take a theology class, you write a doctrinal statement at the end. So at the end of these classes, they're writing doctrinal statements, and it's just so amazing to see what God has done in their heart by just putting them in that environment where they can hear truth and respond to it.
2: You know, I've seen that people are hungry for this kind of thing, too. And like, I know other practitioners like JT and Jen have have said the same thing. So I'd encourage pastors, maybe 20, 30 years ago, you would have said, hey, come learn about the Trinity and people would be, Grr. but I think people really want this because they're feeling the pressure of the hostile culture pressing in on them. And they they have this hunger as well.
1: Can I say one more thing about that too? We also need to be careful about the environment. So, I don't think they want to come listen to a bunch of lectures on the Trinity. I think they actually want to be in an active learning environment where they're doing some thinking about what you're talking about beforehand. They're feeling equipped to walk in with at least a couple of questions and some reading, and then they're able to ask their questions and dialogue with each other, and then see whoever's facilitating or teaching that class respond to yeah. the questions of others and their question as well.
2: Yeah. Giving them responsibility for their own learning is really important pedagogically. You know, I know Pastor Derek here has done a similar thing at downtown campus. He's done a couple of Bible labs. So he had this thing, I think it was 1 Peter that they did. He would bring them in week after week, and they would read the whole book together. And then they would take a section of it, and he would have them kind of break it down and take their own notes and then share together in the group. And then he would come behind that and kind of give them some broader like theological framing for the thing. But it became kind of this discovery opportunity for them to dig into the Bible for themselves and kind of work through it. That's another thing that we've been experimenting with here at Family Church.
1: Yeah, I think giving people environments where they can gain confidence and then also giving them environments where they themselves are immersing themselves in the Word because the Word of God activates the Holy Spirit in a person's life, right? And so you have to just help them not feel like they're just on the sidelines. You want to help them walk in and be an active participant in their faith.
2: It's a great way for them to own their faith. Like if they're going to stand up as Christians in the marketplace, again, it helps them helps them get roots. Some other ways that we've been trying on the network level, I mentioned earlier, the Family Church Institute. We're trying to have some events where we bring people in for an experience, a few hours at a time, where we go deep on hermeneutics or we'll survey the Old Testament, give them a big picture, that kind of thing. You mentioned the Pursue devotional. That's a resource that we developed here, and it has really become our go to discipleship resource for early steps in discipleship and formation. God's really blessed that. Right now we have some leadership seminars in development, right, where we're going to try to take people who are like at a small group leader kind of level and help them get a little deeper in their teaching skills, in their hermeneutics, in their own shepherding skills, their own personal soul care. That's some of the stuff that I'm working on right now.
1: I'm really excited to hear that because I feel like we've had a little bit of a gap where if we want to develop people, we send them to residency, but that's a two-year commitment. And and so just having these in-between spaces where you can just the faithful Sunday school teacher or group leader or person who is leading your first impressions team or person who's teaching your kids. These are the people that need to be developed spiritually as leaders.
2: I want to mention another thing that I have learned After they did the big reveal study at Willow Creek, they pushed that study sort of on like it was analyzing what was working in discipleship. They pushed it out to a thousand churches, and then they wrote a book called Move on what they learned from that. One of the things that they learned is that in early stages of discipleship, people respond well and seem to need kind of structure and programming at the local church. But once you get into intermediate levels, people often are self-starters and what they need is pathways and inspiration and challenge to do it. And so to the pastors in ordinary churches who are like, "Well, I don't have time or people to build all of these programs and structures." Sometimes it's as simple as saying, "Here's a book that you really ought to read, and when you finish it, I would love to know what you think." And like just challenge your people like cuz you've got I think most churches have some folks who've been in Christianity, and they're kind of faithful, they're steady there, but they have some headroom to grow, and if we will challenge them, they might step into it.
1: Yeah, I've seen it work really well to just put together a small cohort and read through a book a semester and just invest in that small group of people because they're going to be your people developers if you invest in them.
2: No, that's great. That's great. Well, I know our time is rapidly spinning away. Anything else that you want to just mention before we wrap this up?
1: I just am excited about this topic and I just hope that some of the things that we've said would be helpful. I think it is so important to make sure that we are spending as much time feeding the people that we're calling out to serve. We cannot call people to serve in developing our kids, our students, teach the Bible in different spaces if we are not strengthening them spiritually. We have got to faithfully shepherd the flock under us.
2: I agree with that. I think it's my parting shot, I would say, and this was reinforced from my time in London, this is new cultural territory for all of us. The folks in London are just trying things. So I would encourage the pastors who are listening to this, run some experiments, just try some things and see what works, because that's what we're doing at Family Church. Like, we've never done this stuff before in exactly this way, and we're just trying it. I think the Holy Spirit is going to reward those efforts. He's going to direct us well. It's the challenge of our day, but I think that we can rise to it, and certainly God's placed us here, so it's the challenge for us to to rise to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Well, this has been fun, Mark.
2: Yeah. Great talking to you, Angel.
1: I'm impressed and excited. I think if we can really do what Mark and Angel are suggesting we can do, then the future is very bright for Family Church.
0: Yeah. I think, Leslie, that we can do it and we are doing it and we're going to keep doing it. And I know our listeners feel the same way. So guys, I hope this was uh, encouraging to you, helpful to you. Hope you got some ideas and ways that you can implement these concepts in your own church with the resources that you have. Plus, All of us are praying Luke chapter 10, verse two, that God would send more laborers into this harvest. He has done it for years here at Family Church. He's done it in all of your churches and he will keep doing it because he's promised to do so. And we're gonna keep talking about how to do that in our next two episodes. We're gonna talk about developing worship leaders and how to build an internship program. And so you don't wanna miss it. So for Leslie Bennett, Dr. Mark Warnock, soon to be Dr. Angel Turbyville, this is Jimmy Scroggins signing off, church for the rest of us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out familychurchnetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We wanna connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.